Welcome, bienvenue, to the Fantasy Tools Podcast. This is a show where fantasy tools discuss fantasy tools. I'm your host, Eric Rentz, and I'm joined by my co-host, Michael Peterson. Our mission is to discuss fantasy baseball and the tools that we are developing that help us manage our teams. Cue that intro music. So you and I have both traveled to conferences professionally. We've we've gone to some different things. But have you ever seen something like this? DEFCON was in Las Vegas this past weekend. It's a straight-up hacker conference. <laughs> that is not a conference that I ever had on my radar or would have assumed existed. That sounds like something that Dr. Evil would attend. <laughs> I mean... I think there there probably are more than a few Dr. Evil cosplayers at this, I would guess. But the thing that actually, that really drew me in is that the conference badges, you know, the type of thing that we get on lanyards that are just really boring, is is an electronic puzzle every year, apparently. Wow, that's pretty intense. So there's something about it. They, I didn't, I haven't figured it out, but you, I don't think, I'm not sure I saw online that anyone had figured it out, but you there's a puzzle and if you solve it you get some prize which i guess is just pride for them and so this time it was this time it was like a game that you plugged in on your computer and had to play and figure it out nice and then everything on your hard drive has been stolen i think that's exactly what happened (laughs) so michael you want to talk about trains you know we have not talked about trains on the pod in a long time that is that is factually correct. I'm sure everybody is waiting with bated breath. I, I saw that the weather conversation got axed from last week. <laughs> I don't know. This is some hot train content. I think it's going to make it. Minnesotans stole a Wisconsin train. Is this... How do you feel about this? Well, I mean, when you say it like that, fantastic, obviously. But I don't <laughs> think... I don't think they stole it so much as... They never assumed that Minnesota wouldn't give it back. The problem is that it's a functioning steam engine that the folks in Duluth have mm, have taken care of, essentially. And I will say, if that had been in Eau Claire this entire time, it would not be a functioning steam engine. That's a great point. And I just, as a by you know means of explanation. The steam engine is just what you think of in your head when you're like train, like the the classic train that you picture. It's just black. It's this one I think has a cow catcher on the front. Like it's just it's decked out. Like you're like this. That's the train. <laughs> nice, nice black smoke coming out of it. Whenever it does anything, it is a it is a smelly train. <laughs> and what I I one thing that I found interesting is that in reading this article talking about them is that in order to operate them, they have to get the boiler reserviced every 15 years, like replaced. Yeah. I didn't realize that, that there would be such regulations. Have those regulations always been on the books or is this like a recent thing? Well, I mean, it's, it d- depends if it's a lapsing boiler or if it's a, um, 
I can't remember the other the other kind, but yeah, these boilers were not meant to last, and they were constantly in the 1800s. They were constantly being refurbished and replaced like wholesale. Michael, I have one topic here, and it just says baseball. I have to say, I'm actually being pretty drawn in right now. I think the games have gotten good. All the the trades have mostly been completed, so it's sort of the playoff landscape is really starting to shake out some of those games are good it's a really good it's a really good final race to the finish a lot of good baseball happening and i will say one one tip for the uh the fantasy folks out there start your starting pitchers against the orioles (laughs) like just just do it that's that is not much of a tip but absolutely (laughs) like do not (laughs) sleep on anyone pitching against the orioles wow that is a bad team this week on the pod, Algorithm Club comes back. We are going to talk about random forests and by means of decision trees, I think we'll warm up with. So after we introduce it, Eric's going to talk more about TGFBI rankings and looking at how we can uh, classify the overall hitting and overall pitching rankings. And then I'm going to talk about closers updating a metric from last year that actually can benefit from this algorithm. So here we go. Let me just read directly from Random Forest introduction here. Go for it. I think that'll be helpful. Random Forests are an example of an ensemble learner built on decision trees. Therefore, we should motivate decision trees first. They're an extremely intuitive way to classify or label objects. You can simply ask a series of questions designed to zero in on the classification. This is like a glorified version of 20 questions, in my opinion. It's a dichotomous key. Yeah, I guess it is dichotomous. It has to be. But I think of it as a little bit more, I think it, I like to think of it as a little bit more abstract, especially when you get into the higher the higher dimensions. I Well, it is, yeah. But so once you have a decision tree, which we basically made when we talked about whether players were buy low or sell high, uh-huh. we basically tried to step our way through it. That's something that might benefit from this as well. Some of the things, some of the metrics that we put into it. True. But then what you do is on top of those, you you basically ask the computer to construct X number of those decision trees and then take the average of all of those decision trees and then you have a random forest. So now you have trees and then you build up to a forest. So this is a great method because, right, decision trees are intuitive and you can think through the process of you have the universe, you split it up, you split it up, you split it up to get down to the different to your different groupings. And computing has allowed us to do this on such a scale that as you said, you average out all of these decision trees and then you're able to have something a little bit that you know doesn't do the overfitting, which is a random forest. A decision tree overfits. That's the idea is that it's like it sees everything, it sorts out everything. And then the idea of a random forest is that by averaging out all those different decision trees, um, you're able to see the forest despite the trees. You're laying it on a little thick. But, I mean, right? isn't it sort of right? that some of your decision trees are just going to ask the wrong questions that will never get you to the answer? Exactly. And the idea right. is that you want to get rid of those trees. 
or you want you want to right. average over those trees. So maybe those are like the gnarly old ones, and you know we really mm-hmm. want the majestic maples or something. What is this best applied to? I've heard this mm-hmm. a million times. Random forests are really awesome, really awesome for classification, right? Mm-hmm. So, what is a prototypical example of using a random forest? If you're honestly asking me, yeah, I don't have a good answer. Right, and I think the two of us went into this being like, this is awesome, we never did this, this is non-parametric, we're, like, getting out of Bayesian thinking, like, oh my gosh, this is going to be so cool, and then we were like, you know, we've said the whole, once you, you know, once you have a hammer, every every problem is a nail. I mean, it's, it's true, but... Uh, it's true in a negative way, but it's also true in a positive way of once you once you understand a method, you can see how it can apply to anything and everything. But if you don't but you know, if you're just given the tool set, why do I need an adjustable wrench? <laughs> I will say that I have not found a lot of purposes for an adjustable wrench, but you're I, I think Yes, your point is well taken, but I now feel more confident that if and when I do run across a problem that requires decision trees or random forests, that I'll recognize it. Yeah, right. Well, I mean, or have we been doing, like, have I been doing all the clustering analysis? Should I have just been using random forests this entire time? That's a good question. I I will say that... uh, looking top view looking at both of our results here i felt that exact same thing all right so why don't you tell me about your application anyway tgfbi tgfbi the great fantasy baseball invitational i've been talking about a bunch the last couple (laughs) weeks it's a great example because it's a uh it's a 15 it's a series of 15 team um roto leagues essentially there are 13 of them you have a big, huge sample of how a bunch of people who the all the players are from the industry, they're fantasy analysts. You know, you get a really big opinion about how how things should work. Okay, great. So the last couple of weeks, I've been scraping the data um, of how everybody, how how everyone's team has been doing. And so this week, what I what I thought to myself was. Random forests. You really need the like really easy example is you have data in two dimensions, X and a Z, and then a third, not really a Z dimension, but a categorical dimension. And the idea of the random forest is to say we have X, X's and Y's, and then we have these categories that are sort of independent, but not independent of our X's and Y's. So I said to myself, well, what I'm really interested in is to know teams that have really good hitting versus teams that have really good pitching. Mm-hmm. So what I did was I summed up for everybody in the overall so there's the invitational, there's an overall, everyone is scored from 1 to 195. Um, how people's points are relating in the hitting and the pitching to their rankings in their 
um, oh. in their individual Ooh. league. Now I understand. So that's that's to say, um, you know, here we've got a point at like eight hundred and sixty, and um, uh, that's what they're doing on the pitching, and then they're at six hundred on the hitting, and those players are doing super well. They're ranked in first, and there are a couple of players in that cluster who have really, really good. Uh, really, really good pitching, and they're doing super, super well. So where are we on this? Okay, we're at 422.5 on the hitting and 560 on the pitching. We did it. We are just in the middle again. We're right back where it all started. Where did that go? We're overall, we're 93, so we're dropping. Not looking good. But I made some, I made some pickups. Essentially, I mean, the I, what I wanted to know was it, what I've been trying to figure out is, is it advantageous to focus on hitting over focusing on pitching midseason in the league in general? And I think that this analysis, so I've got the XYs here uh, scattered and classified, and then I have the random forest that was built off of this uh, creates the kind of the classific classification zones and I think it really does back up that you want to in some ways in this expert league having good pitching is more important than having good hitting yeah it's definitely the class the classifiers definitely tilted that way yeah, it's it's amazing. I, I mean, I'd almost rather postulate why that is. But there there are, it, it sort of also looks like there are pockets where, I mean, the classifier found these pockets where if you're good enough in one of the two categories, you, mm -hmm. even if you're below average in the other one, you can still be doing well in your league. Like I'm looking at one yeah. that's at 350-ish in pitching, but 800 in hitting. No, I mean, if if you're doing well enough in hitting, but I guess I was I was thinking in terms of the area. If you're looking hmm. at the area of these random forests, hmm, the area, the okay. amount of area, the area is something interesting that I had not considered before. That the classifier actually gives us those the areas. Right, it gives you the areas of the different. Um, they're not clusters, but I want to keep on wanting to call that, but classifications. Huh. Okay. So actually, I'm glad that we talked about this because now I'm looking at my own results in a slightly new light. <laughs> <laughs> right. So um, that's really all that I have to say about that is we, um, you know, we're not doing great right now. <laughs> I think we have uh, a ways to improve if we get this baseline of hitting up and then continue to improve our pitching. And in this experts league, I think that the guys who really hit their pitching are the ones who are doing doing the best. There you go. It's kinda kinda simple. A lot of guys focused on hitting. And or maybe it's just that over the course of the year, um, it's easier to mm. keep up hitting than to really readjust in, in pitching. Is this a push versus pull factor that we're seeing yeah actually that's a that's a good point um it's 
maybe easier to employ uh, strong strategies in pitching, whereas it's not necessarily as easy in hitting. Mm -hmm. We tried to bring a special fantasy touch to the random forest algorithm. Here's an outtake. From The Lord of the Rings, which one would you call the random forest? Mm. I mean, I would have to be Mirkwood with yeah. the like the path, like moving around. Is the Forbidden Forest a random forest? Oh, I think so. Actually, Game of Thrones has the Kingswood. Maybe, maybe like the the Godswoods that exist, like in Winterfell. That's inside. Uh, That's a random forest. It's a nice little random forest. This is a reprisal of something that I thought about last year which was where I was trying to classify closers. It was really early on. I don't remember if you remember. I was talking about this, but it was, it was I figured since it was already a classification problem. Oh, absolutely, I do. This is a great application for a decision tree or a random forest. At the time, I had put forward three different categories based on how frequently a closer mm -hmm. throws a fastball. And I, I had a, a, you know, a loose definition for fastball. Like anything that qualifies as a fastball here <laughs> is good for me. Versus their maximum fastball velocity. So how hard they can actually throw it. All right. I came up with three classifications. And this is, it turned out that I based everything solely on what types of pitches they threw. So I had guys that just threw fastballs. Only fastballs. And then I got, had guys that threw a few different pitches and mix things in and I had just kitchen sink guys. So if we asked for prototypical yeah. ones, you're looking at Kenley Jansen, Edwin Diaz, Andrew Miller, these guys, or all this Chapman, they only throw strikeouts. Or they, <laughs> strikeouts. They only throw fastballs. That's fastballs. It. Yeah. And then you've got guys that might mix stuff up, try and mix things in there like Will Harris, Cody Allen, Mark Belanson, and they kind of mix it up a little bit. And then you have guys that just throw junk like Fernando Rodney and Brad Ziegler <laughs> and Francisco Rodriguez. And I recognize that it sounds like I just partitioned them into like good closers, middle tier closers and bad closers, but that was not really the intent. Right. I remember when you did this the first time, it was so clear that the guys who just threw fastballs all the time were the best closers <laughs> but what i had what i had tried to correlate it with last year was the number of saves that each one of those guys got and it wasn't yeah, particularly strongly correlated <clears throat> at least to my no. eye in the first place and i found that a little bit frustrating like why did francisco rodriguez get 45 saves in 2016 <laughs> Like, <laughs> like he threw 50% fastballs and he had 45 saves. How is that possible? That doesn't make any sense to me. When I did this before, I was plotting the fastball frequency versus the number of saves and then color coding by the maximum fastball velocity. So I was using the velocity as the y-axis in the classification or the z-axis. But then I realized that was a pretty dumb thing to do because what I really want to do is predict how good of a closer they will be or what category of closer they'll fall into i want to know how many saves they're going to get yeah and i recognize that there are a lot of factors that go into this like mostly whether they're put into save situations but i think that there's something that underlies how managers view different pitchers and the whether they view them as a closer or not 
And so I thought that maybe a decision sure. tree could kind of suss that out. Right, because there's a positive feedback loop. Absolutely. If if you're a pitcher who just throws fastballs, then there's so much less of like, well, if he has his fastball working today, it's like, it's a fastball. He just throws it really hard. Versus like, well, if he has his curveball going today, then mm-hmm. we really have faith in him. It's like, mm-hmm. if his sinker is really really dancing right yeah and so so i want the decision tree to kind of remove some of that from this for me okay so i made the same plot i made the fastball frequency versus the number of 2018 saves color coded again by maximum fastball velocity and this is where felipe vasquez makes a really interesting case study because he throws 80 percent fastballs he throws the second hardest fastball in the league second only to eraldis chapman he has a decent number of saves but could he be even better if he was just throwing 100% fastballs? Just heat all the time, right? If he was on a different team, would he? I've wondered that before. And these are the things that, like, this is sort of one of the perennial problems with machine learning. And we're not even, I'm not even using extremely high dimensional things, but we don't really know what the classifier is interpreting things as. Right. And so. I'll, you know, if you if you just jump to to what I actually ended up finding, Felipe Vasquez gets paired with an interesting group, which is Wade Davis and Rasal Iglesias. Oof. Well, Wade Davis. That's that's fair. Yeah. I mean, I think that they sort of they sort of all screen the same. Like maybe you should be throwing more fastballs. Like they all throw right around eighty percent. Um, their velocities are a little bit different. They all have relatively similar similar numbers of saves right now, but I, I just can't help but wonder what happens if they just throw 100% fastballs. What if they were, yeah? What if they were on different teams and only threw fastballs? Yeah. I mean, Rysel Iglesias, yeah, he should, yeah <laughs> he de- like if he was on the Nats right now, like, <laughs> and the Nats were starting to turn around, like that would be. That'd be a good. That'd be a good case study. I yeah, I completely agree. That'd be a, that'd be a fun one to do. So I came up with new classifications, actually, recognizing that okay. maybe this is a little bit more subtle if you look at the velocity and the fastball frequency. And so I divided this into five. Um, we can sort of argue about these. I think that there's there are fireballers, which is sort of the the platonic ideal of a closer. Like these are just guys. The, and it's exemplified by Raldis Chapman. It's a guy who throws hard. He only throws fastballs. He goes out there. He is going to be a closer. Like, you'd never have that guy as a middle reliever. No. No, yeah, just throw as hard as he possibly can. Make sure everyone is unsettled. On on the, <laughs> and then you have guys that just don't quite reach that. Field. And that, to me, is like Hector Rondon. He throws all, str- he mm-hmm. throws all fastballs but he just can't quite crack that next level velocity. Right. He needs a little bit more speed. And so there's a few, there's a few guys that, that push into that. Then I have the guys that I think are really misguided pitch selection and Iglesias exemplifies this to me. I just, why isn't he throwing all fastballs? Why isn't he throwing more? Yeah. I just feel like if he threw more fastballs, he would, he would see something better. To just not have the control. I mean, I don't know. That you might didn't be get it. into this. Okay, I'm sure so then I have the guys that yeah. are that are I think are wannabes. They want to be closers. They want to throw like closers. 
They just don't have the stuff for it. And the, these guys, to me, Blake Parker and topical alert, <sighs> Scott Alexander. Yeah, yeah. His, you know, the fastest, the fastest fastball that he's thrown this year was 96 miles an hour. But that's the slowest top speed of the the 30 named, you know, typical closers. Really? Wow. Yeah, I mean, I think that makes sense. I mean, yeah, Blake Parker is like quadruple A. Yeah. It's clear that the best thing that you can do, though, to up your number of saves <laughs> is to throw harder. <laughs> just just throw harder, dude. I mean, it's, a, it's sort of a letdown, but it, like, the model just really suggests that if you throw harder, things will get solved. Yeah, come on, Will Smith. <laughs> you about ready to wrap this sucker up? I am. I just want to state, you know, that we're on a continued, a league of their own discussion moratorium. We are, yeah. just to give everyone an update, we are both in the playoffs. And so we we can't really give each other too much direct fantasy advice about our head-to-head league right now. Nope. No, we can't. I'm unfortunately playing. You have a bye. This is fucking ridiculous. <laughs> Not that anyone would ever trust my my head-to-head strategy, but I don't know, man. Nope. Proof's in the pudding. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck that pudding. Eric is pissed because I am officially the luckiest team in the history of our league. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, this is the problem with head-to-head, is that you just, like, there's so much... There is luck to mm-hmm. it, and I mean, I would say that there's not as much luck as as it might appear for you, but jeez. Yeah. Oh, no, I mean this I, this is a three sigma luck outlier. I it, like it won't save luck won't save a like wholeheartedly bad team, but no. it can push a team that is a legitimate fifty percent team up to the top. Yeah. And that's crazy. I, yeah, that's absolutely ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. All right, enough of that. You want to talk about your Vikings? I'll let you talk about your Vikings. That's very nice of you. I just want to say that the Vikings are undefeated. Uh, in in all of the the most important, as everybody knows, the uh, the first preseason game. I I just always find it ridiculous Super that ESPN important. like sets up the whole standings like by division like everything yeah here it is like you know the giants are oh and one they're one game back right now yeah why like one game back of what why are you doing this why why would they even do that speaking of football actually did start i told you no real football oh man united told you this is almost as bad as the preseason. <laughs> preseason NFL is evaluating week one <laughs> EPL matchups. Match day one. Yeah. Wow. What a week it was. Liverpool destroyed West Ham. Well, it's. I, I will say, I will give you credit. It's not clear that you're wrong yet. How about that? I, well, I mean, and you were poo-pooing my Fulham will not get relegated and got destroyed by Crystal Palace, so they're, the, they're all right, trying to write I will their ticket. say that getting destroyed by Crystal Palace is 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 not good. I told you that they were 
you know, I'm going to, I'm going to root for him. Fulham. Come on, Fulham. But it's probably, they're probably going to head back down. Michael, Michael, they're probably headed they back down. They get 30 down. good games and I think they have a pretty generous revenue sharing, don't they? Yeah. Oh yeah. They're making a lot of money for being up. So there you go. Right now. <laughs> They'll try as much as they can to continue getting their paydays. All right, you want to talk about Fight Club? I do want to talk about Fight Club. Uh, I th- it was both better and worse than I remember it being. I, I'm interested to hear. How, how do you how do you mean? Well, I think it seems more ageless than I thought it was going to. It is so ageless. That is the thing that I was thinking about the entire movie was like, this is so applicable right now. And the phone, even using the landline phones, didn't seem that dated or it seems a little bit dated, but it didn't like get in the way of the movie a la The Matrix when we listened to that one. That's that's exactly right. It worked as a it worked as a plot piece. I mean, I found myself thinking like, wait. What year did this movie come out? This came out before The Matrix. I know. <laughs> it was, I was just like, wait, hold on. Because in my head, I was like, oh, this this is like, this is aged pretty well for a movie from 2006. And then I was like, wait, it's not from 2006. 1999. Yeah. Like, oh, wow. It's it's almost 20 years old. Yeah, it's it's basically 20 years old. It can drink in a couple of years. <laughs> But even though it ages, I kind of thought it seemed a little bit more uh, pointless than ever. I both agree with you and disagree with okay. you. Okay. Because I, I agree the pointlessness, like when I was 14, 15 or whatever when I watched this and then um, Where Is My Mind was like my favorite yeah. song for like a month. I I was really like, yeah, no. Like, society, what the hell? Like, why are we doing this? Why do I now know what a duvet is? <laughs> but what the underline that I had through this is that this is like Reddit culture. Yes. That's right. Yeah. This is, but instead of these guys actually going out and having like a fight club, which I think, um, what was the workout thing? CrossFit sort of was mm-hmm. for some of the for the, some of that same kind of group of people. Like they have just the internet as their outlet. Project Mayhem it like exists solely on the internet. I'm glad we watched it, and the the I mean it's a gorgeous movie. Very, it looked very good, and the, it was a kind of movie that. You know, we were talking last week a lot about the Princess Bride and like the R-O-U-S's, <laughs> right? And it just didn't make the transition from small screen to big screen. Right. Or from small screen to high def. This, like, in high def, looked nice and gritty and dark and ominous. And Brad Pitt looks, like, so fucking cool. <laughs> All right, Michael, what movie are we watching this week? All right, well, I want that 2006 era. And this is something interesting. I have, I honestly don't think I've watched it since 2006, but it was very zeitgeisty at the time. Pirates of the Caribbean. 
Curse of the Black Pearl. I knew you'd be upset. I knew you would be upset. Wow. Okay. Let's do it. Hugely discussed. Insanely profitable. This is a big in for people into like a fantasy world. This is. All right. Time for a little housekeeping. Be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes and follow us on Twitter, Fantasy Tools, Mind the Z. Thank you, Mild Manor, for letting us use your tunes. Be sure to follow them on SoundCloud and Facebook. Feel free to email us with questions or comments. Send us messages at fantasy.tools at gmail.com. Again, mind the sea. All I've got left is, we're select to you, buddy. We're select to you, too.